this weekend on Friday evening and for half of Saturday, your vestry and clergy gathered for a retreat to orient and prepare this new group of 12 elected lay leaders. To be more specific, we have three elected, excuse me, four elected every year. So we have a new group formed each year, which takes time and prayer and work. So your vestry has canonical duties that they are to fulfill. There are church laws that define how we operate, and the vestry serve as the legal agents, or the legal representatives and agents, rather, of the parish regarding matters of corporate property. Those who have been junior warden know that there are grounds to keep and buildings to fix and lights to attend to. Um, and also the relations between the parish and the clergy. So the vestry is a governing body. There are many people who do that work. We hear in a, Paul's letter to the Corinthians about the body having different functions. Each vestry person has different responsibilities, and then they invite others into that as well. It is a big network of people that make all of these details happen. But the work we do is not for a bottom line, like other boards. Rather, it is to the glory of God. The work of the vestry is enriched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we convened, it wasn't just to talk about canon law. It was to develop relationships and to build our spiritual basis as well. We shared a meal together and we did Bible study. We shared communion. As we did Bible study, we listened three times over to this reading that John just read to us from the fourth chapter of Luke. We listened for the word or phrase that stood out to us, and then we took turns in our small breakout groups in sharing that word or phrase. We listened for how the story of Jesus's ministry might inform what we do as vestry people and as clergy working with the vestry. And finally, each of us listened to what we were being called to do or be or change because of Jesus's leadership. The words that stood out to each of the people in my small group varied. One person said, today. Another said, Jesus stood up to read. He was praised by everyone because he has anointed me, filled with the power of the Spirit. People took away different insights as well as we heard this scripture for the second time, what, what leadership looks like through the eyes of Jesus. Vestry is a, a supportive role. Um, one or two people heard that it's important to be present regularly at worship since Jesus talks about coming to the synagogue as a, or it's described that he comes as a, as a custom to the synagogue. Others said that they pray that we are filled and guided by the Holy Spirit. And that third time around, when I heard the words of Luke, they struck me in a new way. I was left wondering 
how the people in the synagogue heard Jesus reading those words from Isaiah, I wondered what they received from that message. And what also hit me was that Jesus spoke those words not for his own benefit. Jesus spoke those words because the hearers needed to hear them. And the words were spoken for the glory of God. And in that, Jesus left the audience in awe. So if you remember before this, Jesus has been teaching all across Galilee in synagogues. He was baptized by John in the River Jordan. And in that, as the Holy Spirit descends, the heavenly voice echoes, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And then he's sent off into the desert for 40 days, his own exile, fasting, tempted. And then we meet him today. After those 40 days, his, his spirit is strengthened. As Luke describes it, Jesus is filled with the power. And the Greek word there, pneumatos, also means miraculous force. Jesus is filled with this miraculous force as he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He unrolls the scroll and proclaims the ancient words from Isaiah, this prophecy given to the exiles who were promised protection, these Israelites who were promised by God that they would return to their homeland. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sits down, but he's not yet finished. Because then he says that that processing of scripture that we hear about from Nehemiah, right, to make sure that people understand the message that's just been spoken. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The prophecy to Israel 600 plus years prior was satisfied in the proclamation by Jesus in that place. So going back to that question that was rolling around in my head during the vestry retreat, how did the Nazarene people hear and receive Jesus' reading from Isaiah? I wonder, did they feel poor or trapped or blind? What did they feel like they needed to do about those words? Who else needed to hear those words of truth? That announcement of good news directed at the outcast, the downtrodden, those honestly excluded from worship, those who were demon-possessed, sick or paralyzed, stricken with leprosy, women who were hemorrhaging, sinners, tax collectors. It was on behalf of these people 
that Jesus's good news was so needed. That was the hope and change that they hoped for and needed. And Jesus was declaring freedom from the bonds of all oppression. These words most likely came from Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus doesn't include the piece from this early part in Isaiah 61 that says he will, that God will bind up the brokenhearted. Because Jesus is preaching a message of freedom, of healing, not binding. And as he's lending his healing powers, opening the eyes of the blind, he's also working to open the ears and the hearts of those who are hearing this message of good news. And Jesus proclaimed that this was the year of the Lord's favor. This was a message that reminded people of those ancient words from Leviticus that talked about the Jubilee that happened every 50 years, or was supposed to, that would hearken, excuse me, that would erase all debts. Everything owed would be made zero. A fresh start. So Jesus is preaching this promise of jubilee, this promise of bondage from the powers of sin and death will be no more. Through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, his mission was and is and will be this, to free people from captivity to sin and to free people from captivity to the sinful structures and systems that diminish and destroy lives. Destruction in Nazareth in the year 30, destruction in Alabama in the year 2022, See, there were people in Nazareth that really needed to hear this message, that their current constraints were not the end, that there truly was and is hope. And there are people who are here today, either in person or at home, who need to hear this message too. People who feel outcast, downtrodden, captive, not good enough, not strong enough, not secure enough. In Jesus's audience, people were unsettled by this prospect. They were unsettled by this thought of wiping the slate clean because maybe they were owed money. And that means they are now not getting what they are hoping to receive from others. Power structures being upset is never comforting when I'm the one at risk for losing my power. Maybe you also remember that this audience in Nazareth, in a few verses, is going to run Jesus out of town and try to run him off a cliff. So this good news was not welcomed news by many. And the gospel rarely compels us to sit still right? The gospel rarely tells us to hold steady. The gospel calls us to rattle the spaces of power imbalance, 
and to open our eyes and ears to those who sit in the shadows and on the outskirts. This message is not new, though. We heard this message from Isaiah's call to faithful people, those Israelites who were working to grow closer to God. Isaiah says that the people must engage in a genuine fast, loosing the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke, to share bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into houses. And when we see those who are naked, we are to cover them. And then the prophet says, light, God's light will break forth like the dawn and healing shall spring up quickly. There are those of you who help with the warming station at Grace Episcopal in Woodlawn, providing nourishing food and clothing and assistance for people in Birmingham who don't have adequate warmth or shelter on freezing cold nights. That action is living into that genuine fast of care and concern. It's living into that paradigm that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, where all are valued and the vulnerable are held up and paid attention to. I heard a story yesterday of someone who is a social worker who has grown children. <clears throat> she wants to become a foster parent for a 12-year-old because that 12-year-old that has no home, has no permanent space of belonging, wrestling with identity, feeling unwanted and broken, invisible. And this person says, I see you, and I will be with you and honor you. So as we are about to witness the baptism of Virginia Drew in a few moments, let us be open to the Holy Spirit stirring in Drew for what is ahead for her and stirring in each of us and disturbing us so that we may receive Jesus' words of liberation and change. Let us pray for healing and resolution for those spaces of sin and those systems that diminish the fullness of life that God desires for us. And I invite you to lend your hands and voice to live and speak God's truth. Amen.